Dr. Dale on Quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's episode of Dr. Dale on Quail. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. Anyone who feeds 27 bird dogs must be wild about quail, and that's certainly the case with Dr. Dale's special guest today. Dr. Ryan O'Shaughnessy is the new executive director of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. He grew up in a wildlife world in Zimbabwe, and wing shooting is a passion in his life. Enjoy the conversation as we go to Dr. Dale now with his special guest. Well, good morning, Gary. It's a pleasure to be with y'all here again this month. Uh, man, we're looking for some relief from the hot temperatures out here in West Texas. Uh, and by August 20th, we hope we're only about a month away from that. So we're getting closer, uh, getting to, continuing to get some pretty good quail reports in. Uh, and I've seen some of those myself. So I want to encourage all of our listeners, as you have reports or sightings, observations, please share those with us, drollins at quailresearch.org, or share them on our Facebook page at uh, search for Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation on Facebook. Got a good one for you today. Got a new boss. Uh, got a new boss at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. Look forward to uh, spending some good quality interview time with him to get his thoughts and ideas and observations. I know you're going to like him. Uh, but let me just start off by saying one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And my kudos go to Tom Hanks and the directors and producers. I thought they did a masterful job throughout that movie. And if, as you, I'm sure you've seen it. You know that little white feather that floats through the movie. I tell people that in my case, that was a Bob White feather. And it's continued to float through my life. But there's several sound bites in Forrest Gump. Of course, everybody thinks about the one where he asks his mama what's his destiny, and she says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And in some regards, our quail forecast can be like that. But uh, we're hopeful we get a lot of peanut clusters and uh, some good things in there uh, for this coming year. And we'll talk more about that probably next month. But the white feather, uh, towards the end of the movie, Gump is reflecting on his life and he says, you know, I don't know if we're really floating on a breeze like a feather or if it's just we really do have a destiny and he concludes or maybe just a little bit of both. And sometimes it's like that. So there's several synonyms or uh, similar words, at least for the, uh, the thought of destiny. One is fate. One is coincidence. Sometimes things just happen. They could be good. They could be bad, but they happen together. And then there's a word called serendipity, uh, and an occasion is serendipitous if it's a good if it's a good fortune. It's a uh, almost a chance meeting, but it turns out to be a good thing. And uh, and I had one of those. We were looking for candidates for our uh, executive director for the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch back in Quail Foundation uh, back in um, March of this year. Uh, Dr. Brad Kubeka had served in that role for the previous two years, but Brad had other commitments with his other job at Tall Timbers Research Station, and so uh, we we put a close on uh, on that memorandum of understanding. And uh, thank Brad for all the good things that he got started, and all the energy, and certainly wish him the best in his continued quail quest down there with Tall Timbers and the good work he's doing there in East Texas. But I was over at the Park City's Quail. Coalition's uh, annual banquet uh, about the 27th of March. 
along with about 1300 others of you and a shout out to park cities they do a wonderful job of that if you've never been you need to make a point to go next year and i happened to see a guy standing in the back as i was uh, beginning to walk around a little bit in there and it was our guest today dr ryan o'shaughnessy i had met ryan a time or two and i just walked up to him and said ryan we've got a job opening at the rolling plains Club research foundation for executive director why don't you think about it and i can see a little light come on in his eye and so with that i'm going to say welcome ryan we uh we really enjoy uh getting to know you and look forward to visiting with you here over the next 45 minutes or so so welcome to the dr dale on quail podcast Thanks, Dale. Really appreciate that. Um, I, I really appreciate that uh, introduction. It, it, it certainly was a fortuitous um, meeting at the Park City's Quail Banquet. Uh, the timing just it seems to have worked out all around for everybody involved. Well, they say you'll find a success at the intersection of preparation and opportunity. And uh, you had the opportunity. The opportunity presents itself, and I'd like for you to now begin to list some of your credentials. So give us a little bit about what I'd call your elevator speech and just share a little bit of the highlights of where you've been and how you got here. Sure, sure. Thanks, Dale. Um, as all of the listeners will uh, have noted already, uh, my accent isn't a Texas accent. Um, I always joke that it's a deep, deep South Texas accent. Um, I, I was born and raised in Zimbabwe, in, in Southern Africa. Uh, my parents have always been in the safari industry uh, as far back as I can remember, um, be that photographics and or hunting. Um, so really grew up in the wildlife world. After getting out of high school, I did an undergraduate degree and a master's in wildlife at the University of the Witwatersrand in, in Johannesburg. And uh, through those, I worked on uh, sable antelope, uh, puku antelope and lechwe. Um, during that time, as I was finishing up my master's, uh, I was working up in northern Botswana at the time. I met a uh, beautiful woman. Uh, she was from uh, Orlando, Florida. Uh, we hit it off and she said to me, um, hey, why don't you think about coming home with me? So I, I did um, landed uh, here in, in, in the U.S. Um, at the end of 2009. I think I've, I've submitted my final draft of my MS thesis um, around that same time um, and accepted a, a PhD position up in Illinois. So went up there, worked on my PhD uh, on waterfowl, looking at spring migrating waterfowl. Uh, once I wrapped that up or was approaching the end of that, Dale, um, a position out here in Alpine, uh, far west Texas opened up. I applied for that. Uh, started to work at Sol Ross on pronghorn antelope, and uh, fortunately, a, um, a faculty position uh, opened up um, as I was coming to the end of my my postdoc, and uh, that in many ways led me to to where we are today. Well, I want to talk to you just a little bit about your native country, Zimbabwe. For those that have been longtime listeners of the podcast, you may remember a gentleman by the name of Penn DeVries. Uh, shout out to Penn. I interviewed him about two years ago. That's episode number 27, if you want to go back and listen to it. I call that one quail management with an accent. So uh, there's just something charming. I, I know I say this as a, as a male, but I'm sure the females really like to hear that uh, 
South African accent, British accent, Australian accent, whatever you want to choose to call it. But uh, Ryan has a lot of good credentials coming to us. Uh, and, and I would just ask that uh, we talk a little bit more maybe about, uh, well, first of all, I guess we should ask you, you mentioned that beautiful wife. What about, what's her name and what's the rest of you? Don't you have a family out there? Alpine? Yes, sir, Dale, I do. So, so my wife's name is Kara. Um, and uh, like I say, we, we must have met, oh, I'm going to say around 2006, 2007. Uh, she was out in Botswana with the Peace Corps. Um, we, we met at a barbecue, a friend's barbecue, and, uh, and we just hit it off from there. Um, over the years, we've, uh, we now have three beautiful little girls, um, aged five, seven, and ten. Um, they uh, are, are, are the apple of their daddy's eye, and I think they know that. <laughs> um, but they're all, all born and raised right here in Alpine. So Far West Texas has is, is really become home to us. Um, I was naturalized in, in El Paso back in around 2018. Um, so Texas really has become home. Uh, you, we're laughing. We've just gotten back from a vacation in Florida. And uh, we, we, although we enjoyed our time down there, there's, there's no place like home. There's, there's no place like Texas for us. Well, Alpine is, is one of those places that can legitimately call itself the best kept secrets in Texas. Uh, beautiful country, nice weather. It cools off at night. The uh, rain in the desert and uh, the smell of that greasewood after rain is just something that's really special. Absolutely. And there's some great quail hunting opportunities out there too. And I think you've been involved in some of those over the last six, seven years. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Dale. So uh, um, my wife and I, uh, gee, I think it was back in 2014, 2013, 2014, at some point we we started west texas quail outfitters and um a kind of a a funny story even though even though i grew up in the safari industry primarily the big game industry um back in southern africa I, i've always loved wing shooting wing shooting's always been uh, for, for first and foremost the, the the passion of my life when it when it comes to to hunting and um, as you'll agree that it's the old cliche I think it's mostly the dogs is there's no better experience in my mind than sharing a quail field with a with a fine dog um, but yeah Adele, um, about about a year after we moved out to to Alpine one of our landowners gave me a call and he said Ryan why don't you bring a couple of your dogs out and let's go chase some quail out on, on, on my ranch. And I said to Bill, I said, yeah, Bill, that sounds great. And we were walking around and uh, chasing some birds. We had really good numbers that year. And eventually I said to Bill, I said, Bill, you, you got to have people calling you all the time wanting to come out and quail hunt. Uh, have you ever thought about starting a kennel and offering guided quail hunts? And Bill looked at me and he said, Ryan, I'm running this ranch full time. I really don't have the time or the energy to train a whole new string of dogs and then take people hunting. And as he said that, um, it, it was really a light bulb moment that came up between the two of us. And I asked him, I said, well, Bill, do you think you'd mind if maybe I could lease your, your ranch and I could sell some quail hunts? And west texas quail outfit has really started Dale, as a uh, as a side hustle for us um neither my wife nor i really expected what it would turn into over the years i mean uh, 
people have a hard time believing this when they see where we are today, but I started with my personal truck. It was an old F-150. I had two plastic dog boxes in the back of it, and I had two Weimaraners. That's that's what we started with. And um, today we, we're up to, uh, I think, 27 dogs. Uh, we've got uh, a fleet of quail rigs with aluminum dog boxes and high seats on the back. We employ three or four guides every year. So it's a, it, it truly has been a wonderful ride. Well, that uh, certainly demonstrates uh, some of your preparation and it also demonstrates your passion. And uh, one of the things uh, as we interviewed you that came out pretty quick in the interview was just how many bird dogs you feed. So why don't you share that little factoid with us? <laughs> yeah, so uh, um, like I say, when when we first started, we had a couple of Weimaraners, but um, you know, that was probably largely uh, due to my naivety to to what's available over here in, in the US. and. And I'm not taking anything away from from a Weimaraner. Um, they're a wonderful dog. Um, it's just uh, out here in in Texas, and particularly where we hunt, we've got big, wide open country, and the country is really, really suited to a big ranging dog. And so, our kennel over the years, we've really transitioned to to a string of uh, pointers, English pointers. Um, and I've I've truly fallen in love with the uh, with with the breed. Um, so I think, uh, of our kennel of 27 right now, I think 22 of those dogs are, are English pointers. We've got a brace of Britneys, we've got a brace of, uh, GSPs, and then one of our old original, uh, Weimaran is Savannah. She's, she's still with us. Um, it, 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 people always think 27 dogs is a lot, but when, when, when you're in the middle of hunting season and you're hunting every week and you've got guides going out, there are times where I think, man, I, I probably need 40 dogs. Uh, my wife would obviously never allow that. Um, it's a lot of dog food uh, and, and it's a lot of maintenance. People don't realize the maintenance and the work, I think, that goes into maintaining those dogs, feeding those dogs, cleaning kennels uh, through the off season. It's, it's, it's a daily requirement now. Yeah, it really demonstrates, again, your commitment. Uh, one of the most famous quotes from... T Boone Pickens was he didn't realize he was rich until he fed it. He found out he was feeding 40 bird dogs. And uh, so, yeah, certainly it's an expensive hobby, but one that is uh, just as important to this particular trade as, uh, as a computer is or whatever to our other trades. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And I've always, I've always said to people, I don't think you could maintain that many dogs unless you truly loved it. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, there are days in the evenings where, you know, I'm tired, it's been a long day, I've had a whole bunch of other tasks on my on my plate, but I always look forward to going down to my kennels and, and interacting with my dogs. They've always been, um, they've always been very cathartic to me. You know, the bird dogs are just a wonderful way of, of being able to reset your, your mind and your attitude. And uh, I just, I can't, I can't imagine my life without them. And I know my wife and, and my little girls, I mean, they're so heavily involved with the operation and looking after the dogs and socializing new puppies when we have them that, uh, you know, we, we wouldn't be who we are as individuals without, without our bird dogs. Well, I often refer to my three or four, whatever I have at the time as my research associates. And, uh, and I tell I tell my colleagues that, 
for example, Dr. Fidel Hernandez down there at Kingsville, one of my former grad students, I gave him a bird dog about 12 or 13 years ago. And I said, Fidel, you're a super smart young man. And I've taught you all I know about quail, but if you'll follow this bird dog, you got a lot more to learn. So uh, so it forces us to be in, or it allows us to be in the field. And uh, you you got your antennae up, you're watching and, and, those dogs are just so incredible. So, yeah, well, but I noticed when you begin to list off your breeds of bird dogs, it sounds like you still need me because I didn't hear you mention any betters. And so uh, I, I find that there's a little crack in the foundation there, and I look forward to, to making some tracks with you. I well, now, I, uh, excuse me, I, you, you, you played your cards very well the other day when, um, when when we went out in your buggy, and I had my uh, my 10-year-old with me, and you had those two better uh, puppies with she she hasn't stopped talking about them since so uh, I, I do think uh, for the listeners that there may be a better or two in our future well i uh, i just i'll tell you that i hope bird dogs mean as much to you in your career as mine have to me and, and i know you're on a similar trajectory so uh, wish you the best and look forward to seeing how that evolves over the next 30 years or so ryan how old are you uh dale i'll be 42 years old in december all right, just a young yep. pup, uh, but you've seen some of, of, of West Texas' best years. I, I think probably, what, about 15 was a banner year for y'all out there? Yeah, we seem to be um, a little delayed uh, compared to the rest of the state, Dale. Our real banner year was 2018-2019. Uh, okay. Uh, out in this part of the world, and uh, man, you couldn't you couldn't shake a stick at a bush without kicking up a covey of quail that year. Well, yep. We, we hope we can say that again here. And I think we're in a good rebuilding year this year. I don't know that we'll be a banner year, but if the climatologists are correct and El Nino does settle in and gives us a good wet fall, well, we could certainly be, we could be singing the blues in a good way next Absolutely. year and the Bob Whites as well. Uh, now, there were two other, um, two other skills that you had, the qualifications that I thought were important. I didn't find out one of them until after we had hired you, but uh, you, you have an MBA, a Master of Business Administration. So uh, tell us about that and how you think that'll help you in your role as executive director. Yeah, thanks, Dale. I think um, I've always believed an MBA is one of those good, uh, really general uh, degrees, uh, certainly for anybody looking to to go into any form of business or start their own um, small business. An MBA really just teaches you some really good foundational basics. Um, I'd never set out when I was younger to to attain an MBA. It wasn't really on my radar. Um, it was only when I started working at Solros State um, that I thought about it. Uh, as a faculty member, we could take, uh, I think it was six credit hours a semester for free as a faculty member. And I thought, well, you know, education these days is getting pretty expensive. When else am I going to have a, have an opportunity to uh, read a degree uh, free of charge? Um, so actually both my wife and I took advantage of that. Um, she, she was working in the administration side of things at Sol Ross. And so we both, both, uh, completed our, our MBAs almost concurrently. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's been, well, after, after starting with, with the foundation a couple of months ago, I, I would say it's, it's, it's been instrumental and, and absolutely critical in, me getting to to this position, Dale. Well, it's a skill that I certainly don't have, and I'm certainly glad that you do have, and look forward to some uh, just a, 
just acumen and the uh, the whole financial uh, and the fundraising aspect of that. So again, I Absolutely. think you'll find yeah. find that a, a great asset, and I know we will there at the foundation. Well, that last qualification that I didn't find out about about you was that you were a professional rugby player. You got to be the only <laughs> quail guy in Texas that's played professional rugby. So tell us about how that came about. <laughs> um, well, growing up and going to school in, in South Africa, uh, if you, if your listeners aren't familiar with, with rugby, there's, there's two real big powerhouses in the international rugby game. And that's uh, South Africa and New Zealand. Um, if you've got any, uh, Kiwis listening to this, they might want to block their ears. Um, because I, I'll always say that South Africa, we're, we're probably better than New Zealand in that we've won the same amount of World Cups in half the time. Um, <laughs> I know some of them are probably screaming at the, uh, at, at, at the radio right now. Um, but no, um, in, in a serious note, South Africa is a big rugby playing country, Dale. Uh, you know, we started playing rugby, gosh, I think you start at the age of six years old and you're barefoot uh, playing on a field. Um, as I got older and into my teens and um, started to put on a little bit more muscle and, and speed, um, evidently I was I was fairly decent at the game. And so I uh, went on, uh, attended the South African Institute of Rugby uh, for a year. After that, I got my first professional contract to go play overseas. This was in England. Um, I was only there for about four months and uh, I unfortunately broke my ankle um, in, in a game and returned to South Africa, got that all healed up, um, had a scholarship to play um, at Wits University um, and that's where I stayed for, for a number of years. Uh, during that time <clears throat> I played provincial uh, rugby um, for, for the province that Johannesburg is in and then uh, returned back to um, to England a few years later and I, I spent about three or four years playing rugby in uh, England, Ireland and France um, and towards the end of that um, because of, of because of the fact that we had lived in Botswana for so long um, I eventually was uh, called up to to the Botswana national team we're uh, very proud to say I played uh, eight eight test matches for for my country for for Botswana um and yeah all of that took me up until about the age of, of 27 28 where i finally decided to hang up the boots just just like football over here it's a, it's certainly a young man's sport um i thought that i got out in time before any significant injuries but uh the older i get <laughs> you know i wake up in the morning and i feel a pain and i'm like oh yeah i remember i remember hurting that i remember that game um you were around last week, Dale, where I think I was putting my boots on and I threw my back out. <laughs> so, you know, 42, I know you say I'm a young pup, but always remind people after going through a career of rugby, it's not the age of the car, it's the miles on the clock. So, yeah. That's right. And and I'm not sure how that rugby uh, experience will will uh, be to our benefit, but if a scrum ever breaks out when we're on a quail hunt, well, I'll know who I want to get with. So there we go. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk about your, again, you're, you're being hired as the executive director for the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, and yep. you've been on the job, I think you started May 15th, if I recall correctly. Yep, that's correct, yep. Well, let me ask you, why you and why now? All right. Um, yeah, Dale, that's a, that's a great question. Um, 
I think it all gets back to the introduction that you gave. Um, you know, it, it was just very fortuitous. Um, there were a lot of changes in a lot of people's lives when when COVID broke out. Um, certainly my wife and I, we, we had a few of those changes going on in our own life. Um, we had young kids, you, you know, the university had, had essentially shut down, daycares had shut down. And so back in 2020, we had made the decision between us to to stay at home, to raise our children um, and focus on the on 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 the hunting business. Um, you know, you move through time and everything and, and everything was great. But, you know, the quail season's four months long. I, I started to get itchy feet again, um, thinking, well, heck, you know, I really wish there was something I could do to keep me occupied the other eight months of the year. Um, and it, it was right at that time where, where I ran into you at the Park City's quail dinner. Um, and, and so when you said, hey, Ryan, you know, we, we are hiring a new executive director. Um, you know, if you're interested, I'll send you the um, the job description. Now, when, when I read that, I said that that job description to my wife i forwarded it to her and she actually called me back and she she thought that i'd written the position announcement for myself um it it, it was the first time in my life where i really read a job announcement and i thought man i i really can check all those boxes and some um so again it was just the, the timing just worked out to be be perfect. Um, it, it's like you say, uh, luck, I've heard luck is the intersection between uh, opportunity and preparation. I think you used a slightly different uh, term um, in the intro. But I think that's really where I was when this position came about a couple of months ago, you know, three months ago, when when I ran into you at the dinner. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it seems like I have all the all the credentials that, that you guys were looking for. Um, I'm a passionate quail hunter. And I, I think Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, it wasn't just that I had everything that the foundation was looking for. Adele, I think the, the foundation had everything that I was looking for, too. So it, it, it was just a really fortuitous intersection of what I was looking for and perhaps what the foundation was looking for. So I'm really ex excited about the future going forward. Well, like I said, we're proud to have you at the helm and uh, I've certainly enjoyed getting to know you for the, the past two months. And uh, so you've been on the, we're, and we're taping this on the July the 25th for August uh, broadcast, but so you've been on the, the job just a little over two months. Uh, what have you been doing the last two months? <laughs> you know, that's one of those one of those questions. Of, you know, I feel like I feel like I'm behind my computer at the moment from from eight to five, um, and then I get done at the end of the day, and I'm like, man, I, I can't really think of what I've been doing. But then when I go back through my email list, I'm like, oh yeah, I took care of that, and I took care of that, and I took care of that. Um, the first two months, Dale, as, as anybody can expect, uh, it, it's really just been about finding my feet, um, being brought up to speed on all the research projects, potential research projects that that were in the pipeline before me coming on. Um, there's a lot of 
of the boring um, nitty gritty that that nobody really thinks about, uh, you know, getting email access, getting access to to banks, figuring out, all right, what what insurance companies are we dealing with? Um, you know, really just just the admin side of things. Um, unfortunately, these things just take a long time to get through because you have to have, like you said, Brad was was our former director. Well, it, it, it's getting him taken off the accounts, getting myself added onto the accounts. Um, so there's there's a lot of just paperwork. I guess I should sum up and say paperwork, Dale. That's what I've been doing for the past two months. Well, I know you've been I know you've been meeting people too, and doing a lot yeah. of handshaking. And again, that's a vital part. Here in West Texas, we'd call it running the fences. Whenever you put livestock into a new place, well, they're going to walk the fence just to make sure what the territory looks like. And you've been doing some of that, and I'm looking forward to. Uh, ramping that up even more this fall and making Absolutely. a tour across Texas with you and getting to know many of our stakeholders and uh, other people that are interested in what we're doing. What if, uh, again, there's been several things, again, Ryan, just fortuitous, but uh, we got a brand new headquarters out there and it rained or it has rained. So yep. again, I know you're taking credit for that as a quail hunter, you take credit for every bird that falls kind of thing. <laughs> so what do you think of the new facilities and the staff and what's your impression, uh, you know, after two months kind of thing? Oh, I think, I think it's all fantastic. Dal. the new facility is just, it's just wonderful. And uh, we, we strongly encourage um, anybody that might be interested to, to come and visit with us, come and see the new facility um you know I, I think it just positions us ideally to to roll with things in the future and um collaborate more uh with entities uh you know the, the simple example is uh coming up um next month texas parks and wildlife are are hosting their uh, mule deer and pronghorn um meeting with us uh that's you know that's what we're there for it's all about about research uh, we are obviously quail focused, but we do have this wonderful facility to to host open days. Um, the, the statewide quail symposium is coming up, as as I'm sure everybody's heard by now. Uh, we hosted a plant appreciation day in open house. I know in the pipeline over the next few months, we're thinking about things like a, a rattlesnake and and porcupine avoidance clinic. Um, so the facilities really do help us with that. Uh, obviously, the facilities can only go so far. Um, I've really enjoyed meeting you, Dale, and spending some time out driving around on the Ranger and, and just letting our conversations take us where they take us. Um, we don't always talk about quail and quail dogs, uh, believe it or not. We, we, we do talk about other things. Um, I've enjoyed meeting Dana and John, uh, Jake, all of our technicians that are out there. Uh, people are what make the foundation the foundation. The facilities are there, they're fantastic, but the facility is just a facility. We, we do need great people at the helm. Um, and certainly our board of directors have been uh, very involved um, through my hiring process and, and the, the the building of the facilities and helping the foundation get to the point where it is well 
obviously, if we're going to run this foundation and keep it going, we got to raise dollars. And uh, again, I, I think you're off to a good start with that. We've we've had a chance to uh, present our case to the Park City's Quail Grant Committee, and uh, won't you tell us what the results of that was? Yeah, so um, we, we presented to the Park City's Quail um, Grant Committee. As as everybody knows, Park Cities have just been really instrumental in their support to the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. Um, they were extremely kind in, in providing us with significant funding for our operations costs for the coming year, 2024. Um, we really, we really rely on those guys a lot. Um, they, they are a fantastic group of individuals. Uh, we do, plan on on attending and, and reaching out to all of the other quail coalition uh chapters too um adele um park city's quail they just seem to have theirs uh early on in the year and they're really the uh the, the one that we hit first and and it's it's a big ask and without them bringing in guys like kevin costner to, to help pad that i don't know what we would do without them well, I've always said they're the wind under our research wings, and they continue to provide lift to us, and uh, we thank them for that. But we also, if you're listening and you have connections to either the right people or uh, another NGO that is interested in quail and conservation, we'll certainly let Ryan or me know, and uh, we'd love to get him in front of you and, and uh, meet and greet and show our uh, dog and pony show bird dog and pony show off to y'all as well too yeah so. absolutely, absolutely dale um you know and i do just want to touch on that uh, you, you know i know we, we we do rely on park city's quail um rather heavily but we we really are a a entity and a resource for for anyone and everyone statewide um you, you know we are moving forward trying to to build collaborations and partnerships and and assist anybody in the quail world that that, that really is looking for that expertise that we can provide and so, like you say, if, if anybody's got a banquet coming up or a board meeting and they would like to know more about us, please give us a call. We would love to come in and, and chat with everybody, shake some hands, meet new people and see how we can expand the, the quail reach statewide. Absolutely. And let's OK, so we're not going to let you rest on your laurels for the last two months, Ryan. So what, <laughs> what do you think you got planned here over the next six months? What are some things that are on your radar screen? Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. And now, well, over the next six months, it's it's getting busy. I've, I was saying to my wife and, and my children that uh, that they're not going to see much of their dad over the next uh, six months. Come August, uh, a lot of the other uh, chapter banquets start happening. So on my radar, certainly is to to drive around to all of those meet with um, with with the stakeholders out there, introduce myself, um, let them know what what our vision for the future is with with the foundation um so yeah there's going to be a lot of windshield windshield time coming up uh which i'm looking forward to i, th I think all these quail banquets are just they're fantastic events you know it's a good time to um to meet people and talk about dogs and quail hunting and what we can do for the benefit of quail moving forward um we do uh, have a, a really interesting 
study planned that we are in the process of raising funds for. Again, Park City's Quail has been very generous um, in helping to fund some of the study. So is Texas Parks and Wildlife. Uh, and that's a medicated feed study. Um, there's been a lot of talk, um, um, positive and negative. I think we can be honest, Dale. Um, about medicated feed for, for quail for the treatment of eyeworm in particular. Well, we have assembled an all-star team, as you know, and we are really planning on conducting a large-scale study that addresses the eyeworm question and whether or not medicated feed at a landscape scale can make a difference. So I think that is going to be a major, major priority uh, for the foundation over the next few months. And and regarding that, uh, again, we're looking for potential study sites. And so, again, we're going to be trying to replicate this on at least three different study sites. And our criteria, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Ryan, but we're looking for sites ideally minimum size of 15,000 acres or so. And this is the, our initial work will be on Bob White's. Uh, there may be some um, some other work being research that gets started with blue quail as we move on. But blue quail don't typically have the eye worm loads or the sequel worm loads that the Bob Whites do in the rolling plains. So uh, we want to visit with some of you uh, as from San Angelo North. And we've got some people targeted, but uh, if you've got property and have an interest in this study, or well, let us know and uh, we'd, we'd be happy to meet with you and tell you what we need out of that equation and then see if it meshes with your goals and, and uh, perhaps get a four-year research project started with your, with your particular property. You got anything else to add there, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely, Dale. Um, yeah, you know, if anybody out there is listening to this and you think that your property um, might fit the bill that that we are looking for, we, we would love to hear from you. Um, as a research foundation, there's no secret that we we can't exist and we can't conduct research like this in the state of Texas without with like without landowners like you all out there that are willing to open their gates to us and and see the importance of research like this um, at, at a greater scale. So please, if if you think that um, your property might be suited to this and, and you're interested or if you're just interested in the in the study in general please let us know we'd love to to share more information with you and again looking forward to that coming uh coming to fruition uh, and starting some studies starting some research possibly as early as next march or maybe as late as next august but uh, we're looking forward to that and uh, hopefully the quail population has rebounded quite a bit because we'll be putting radio collars on a lot of birds absolutely and, and giving them the medicated feed some of them what we call via garage or if you're in a goat business drenching that uh the drug into the birds and then following those birds to see if we can uh, indeed document increased survival or reproduction as a result of that medicated feed. So it's going to be a big study. And as, as Ryan uh, alluded to, we've got an all-star team, got a couple of colleagues uh, from the University of Georgia, uh, Dr. James Martin uh, will be working with us. And uh, Michael, uh, I just lost Michael's name. Tell me is Michael's, the parasitologist's name. Yabsley, Michael Yabsley. Yeah. 
and he's with uh, Southwest, or I'm sorry, Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study, which is the big dog in uh, wildlife disease work. And so again, we're looking forward to working with them. And our own, or previously our own, uh, Becky Ruzichka up at uh, Colorado be working with us. So anyway, put together a good team and looking forward uh, to a good study and the results that come there from. Ryan, what about other collaborations? You, you you do seem to be in a very collaborative mode, and yes, I said that in, in a positive way. So, what yeah. else are you thinking? Yeah, Dale. So, you know, one of the things that that I would really like to um, start putting out to to the public is, um, you know, we we certainly don't want to use all of our skills and expertise only in-house so if if you're a landowner out there and you think that your habitat might be a little better or you think you could have more quail than you may be seeing out there and you've just got questions we are available to come out and 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 consult with you all um you, you know we like getting out of the office just as much as anybody else um would be happy to come around and come out there and drive around with you look at your property look at your ranch and uh and offer our expertise to you um that's really something that we are looking at um outside of that you know i i would really like to to build our collaborations far more broadly. And, and we might need to have another uh, podcast dealing with this issue just, just alone now. I don't know if we have the time um, today to get into it, but I, I just think um, in the current climate that we're in with wildlife management, we, we need to be thinking more broadly. Um, I, I think we're all very good at, at managing properties in isolation, but to make a, a difference on a landscape scale, we are going to need collaborators. And, you know, whether that's with Quail Forever, Texas Parks and Wildlife, more independent ranches that, that are just looking to improve the condition of, of their land. We are here as a resource, we're here as a partnership, and that's what we're looking to, to do. Well, again, we've and we've got a great uh, incubator right there at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch, and and working with people like the Dallas Zoo on Texas horned lizards, and uh, our gates are open uh, in most cases. I, I guess absolutely. Uh, but if you've got uh, something that, uh, and, and we now can with our new facility, we can put up a small number of people for a short period of time, kind of thing with our lodge, and so. Uh, bring ideas to us and uh, let, let Ryan or I know what those might be. And we'd look forward to visiting with you. Ryan, do you, again, as you contemplate the next year or two and some of the, the visions that you have for the ranch, do yep. you foresee staffing additions, changes, uh, change directions, anything like that? Uh, yeah, Adele, I think, I think we're on a, on a great um, trajectory right now. Um, unfortunately, with, with Becky uh, leaving us earlier in the year, uh, I, I would really like to um, get a new research scientist on board to, to really take the helm of research both on the ranch and outside of the ranch. Um, you know, ideally, um, that person would, would also be able to help and assist with uh, what, what I call our consulting program, um, whereby we can go out onto ranches and offer our, our expertise to landowners on how to better manage for quail on their property. So I see that position as really um, 
maybe being a 50-50 split between the consulting side and the research side. Um, I would say that to me would probably be our most pressing staffing issue over the next uh, next few months, Dale. Um, you know, and, and after that, we, we are still trying to build uh, certain programs like our SRT program, our um, sportsman recreational training program, which is aimed at, at veterans. So if anybody knows any veterans that are looking to come out and have a really unique experience, uh, it's, it's a three month training program. You come out, you live on the ranch and we basically teach you what you need to know about managing a, a, a wildlife ranch. Uh, so we are trying to build that program too. Um, from what we've been finding, I think it's, I think it's a good position to be in. There, there are a, a wide range of programs open to veterans at the moment, so they certainly have have a lot of good choices available to them. But uh, if anybody knows anybody that might be interested, again, please reach out to us. We would love to help. Absolutely, and a shout out to our colleague Dana Wright, who will be heading that program up and uh, for more information you can contact again contact me and i'll pass you on to dana about that but certainly we need to uh, we're always keeping our antennae up and our eyes open just like we do for quail and quail hunting spots we're looking for uh we're looking for good dogs metaphorically speaking so if you got somebody that you think might fill those those niches well please let us know Ryan, i want to shift gears just a little sure. bit well first of all i'm, I'm going to add something to you it wasn't on a script here but I, I know you can take it on the fly as we were talking with you and deliberations about the hiring process and whatever, and, and you're going to keep your West Texas Quail Outfitters business going, how do you see that working? I mean, there'll be a balancing act. It's going to be, uh, I, I see synergisms coming out of it, but but how would you see it uh, balancing that your existing business and full-time being full-time director for the Quail Research Foundation? Yeah, absolutely, Dale. It's a, it, it's a great, um, it's a great question. Um, like you say, it is it is completely synergistic. Um, I, I, the example that I always give to people is, is, you know, I was at the Park City's banquet for for a reason. I'd been invited by by a client. Um, I think a lot of the guys on the board of directors for Park City's Quail have hunted with me already at one time um, in in the past, and so. I think the business, just from a connections point of view, is is a wonderful thing. You get to to meet a lot of really, really interesting people and and create new networks. So from that side of things, the um, the board of directors at the foundation seem to agree that, hey, you know what, this this might actually dovetail very nicely with the new position. Undoubtedly, as the new full-time executive director, I will have to scale back the number of dates that, that I am able to guide personally. Fortunately, I have uh, four wonderful guys that work for me. They've been with me for a very long time. They really know their stuff. Um, you know, everybody always wants to hunt with the boss, but I always try to tell them, man, you know, the guys that work for me and guide for me, they've been doing it just as long as I have. They're just as good, just as knowledgeable. Um, they're just a great network of and team of, of guides that I have working for me, Dale. Uh, so I, I expect that I'll, I'll probably 
pass the, the the baton on to those guys a little bit more and and lean on them a little bit more this coming season um as i scale back from um from my personal guiding to to accommodate the the new full-time role as the executive director well again 16 17 years ago if it hadn't been for a quail hunt we wouldn't have the rolling plains quilt research ranch because uh literally the idea and the funding for that was uh, hatched on the tailgate of a pickup as we were planting birds by the full moon there in fisher county so uh, i know many good many good things many good deals can come out of a quail hunt and, and we oh, look absolutely forward, we look yep. forward to those happening uh, with you at the helm let's uh b before i get on to the the final uh descent here Brian, I want to visit just a little bit again about something else that I didn't have on the yeah. strip, but that's Montezuma quail in, in West Texas. Uh, again, yes, for, for our listeners, Texas is one of, I think, three states that has four species of quail, and we can hunt three of them. We can hunt the gambles, the uh, blue quail, the bob white, but we can't hunt the Montezuma, but we do have some. Yeah. I'm just curious, Ryan, what has been your experience uh, as far as the distribution? I'm sure you got to run across them some when you're hunting blues at certain places so tell us a little bit about montezuma quail in texas and the potential the opportunity if it ever exists in the future uh, for a quail season on montezuma quail yeah dale this is a a topic that's uh, that, that is very um, close to my heart and actually we're, we're talking i've got a covey of about uh, 20 blues running across my front window as we speak and it uh, looks like this hen's got a mixed brood of birds from about three weeks old to about five weeks old so <laughs> keep keep our fingers crossed for the season um dale look when it comes to to montezuma man you know this is another contentious one and i, I certainly don't want to um step out of line when i'm when i say any of this but my personal belief is that we've got a heck of a lot more montezuma in the state of texas than than we realize um I, I i think in in the past the state's point of view has been look we really don't know how many montezuma we have out there on the landscape that's why they've been hesitant to open a quail season but my viewpoints are if we truly want to get to know what is happening with our montezuma in the state of texas we're going to need to open a hunting season um the only people that are going to get out there in any real volume with dogs and actively seek these birds out are your hunters. Um, a big part of that is that we are a private land state. Um, most of the habitat that these moons and Montezuma quail are in are on private land. And if, if we do really want to start figuring out how many of these birds we are and their distribution we're going to have to open open a hunting season in in, in my belief i have found them just incidentally while we've been hunting for scaled quail dale from van horn all the way east of marathon um and, and you, you know you're just out there looking for blues and and you have a heart attack because a covey of Montezuma explode all around your feet. Um, we've seen coveys from five birds to gosh, 35 birds. Well, so, for, yep, for, any, 
for anybody that's ever hunted them, uh, I've been to Arizona half a dozen times, I guess, in the past, and they are truly a trophy quail. And, and I'm right in line with you. That, I mean, 20 years ago, Parks and Wildlife floated this idea up of a season. It was shot down resoundingly, and I was one of the letter writers against it because we didn't know anything about them. Sure. But I'm, I'm in agreement with you. We'll really never know much about them, uh, enough about them, until we have a very uh, limited season you know give us Absolutely. a three, give us a three bird limit that's fine but get people out there anyway we'll, we'll have that we'll have to talk about that in length on another podcast absolutely yep that sounds good <laughs> uh let's begin to wind down and i mean we've we've all seen everybody on this podcast has seen what uh they define as quail decline over the last 40 years, let's say, and uh, people like in Shackford County, Coleman County, Stevens County, they'd say for the last 15 years, you know, it's been rather rapid onset kind of thing. Ryan, what's your viewpoint on the, the whole idea of quote unquote quail decline? And where do you see us at the Quail Research Foundation fitting into that? Yeah, thanks, Dale. Um, you know, I think when, when I answer this question, it'll really give everybody a really good sense of why I'm so interested in collaborations. My sense is, no matter whether you believe that, that climate change is happening or isn't or whatever, I, I always see that as a secondary effect. To, to, to me, there's, there's, it's no secret that the quail decline is linked to habitat loss. Um, you can go out the rolling plains is a is a great example of this dale. You can go out onto some beautiful, beautiful properties, some of the best quail habitat in the world. But that property will be surrounded by an ocean of cotton fields or corn fields or whatever um, um, is is getting the highest price at the uh, at, at the market that year. It doesn't matter how good your habitat is if all the habitat around you is not able to support quail. Because as we all know, these quail are sensitive birds. If we have inclement weather coming through, we have a week or two of hard freezes coming through, we're going to knock those birds down. The problem when your ranch is, is an island of good habitat surrounded by a sea of, of lesser quality habitat with no birds you just don't have those source populations around you to be able to repopulate your property when when something comes along and knocks your birds down that's why to me collaborations are going to be ever more important down the road Again, I'll, I'll say it, I said it earlier, I think we are very good at, at managing our own properties. Uh, you can come out to the ranch, the research ranch, it looks fantastic at the moment. We've got great habitat, we've got great cover, um, we're, we're on the verge of um, breaking a nesting record out on the ranch, but we again, we're, we're an island surrounded by, by agriculture, right? And, and that makes the population of birds that we have somewhat tenuous because we know we're at risk for another drought knocking them out or, or, or a winter event knocking those birds out. We need to start thinking at a, on a landscape level of, hey, how can we manage these populations on a landscape level to 
secure ourselves against the risk of of isolated properties getting getting knocked out by by weather i'm not sure if i'm making sense on that um you know we need to ensure that we've got source populations spread out across the landscape that are able to to repopulate areas that may be affected by drought or hail or hard freezes well as they used to say back in the early 70s uh, think globally act locally and certainly we need to be thinking about the big picture but we as individual landowners we need to be doing our very best to make our property usable for Bob White or blue quail, as the case may be, and absolutely, that, Dale. And you know, and then that's a good thing. You know, as a landowner, if you've got really great property and and habitat for your birds, you're going to be better off if the neighbour next to you has really great property and and great birds. And you can all three of you, or, or both of you, are going to be better off if your next neighbour has great habitat for for birds. Um, you know, it certainly spreads that risk around rather than than concentrating it all on a single property that might be an island out there well ryan believe it or not our hour has come and gone so uh, again i look forward to a lot more windshield time and a lot of uh, boot leather time with you to behind bird dogs to talk about the future and plot and plan and i know a lot of our other listeners do as well and we're off again uh, looking at a season this year which i would suggest at least at this point in time don't be thinking about filling up your your hunting vest with birds uh shooting enough to uh, satisfy the dogs spend some quality time field and look forward to a better year in 2024. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us this morning is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with until our next time uh, Dale, I'll just end off by saying, please, guys, if you all got any any questions or uh, concerns or you want to come and visit us or you're thinking about um, a, a particular question on your ranch, we're here to answer those questions. So please don't hesitate to, to reach out to us. Well, again, we appreciate uh, having you at the helm. And uh, I know our whole team is excited about what the future may hold and looking forward to uh, spending more time with you, like I said, getting to know you and, and watching that future, watching that feather continue to float through our lives as it did through Forrest Gump's. I'll uh, end our podcast uh, today with talking about a couple of things on our calendar coming up in October, which we'll, we'll be looking forward to because it'll mean some cooler weather. We're going to have a wildlife appreciation day. Now, I've made my career of appreciating things, and normally it's quail, but this time it's going to be a little broader than that. Quail will be one of the things, but we'll also be talking about purple martins, Texas horned lizards, white-tailed deer, you name it. We're going to be dealing with uh, Brad Rybelin on the Rybelin Ranch just southeast of uh, Aspermont, Stonewall County. That's going to be on October the 6th. I hope you'll join us that day. We're going to have a, it's going to be a really a good tour. And Brad's done some great things there and looking forward to that. And then on uh, the, the following Friday, October 13th, we're going to have a blue quail appreciation day out in on the quail ranch, uh, just east of Crane, Texas, out in Crane County. So uh, looking forward to visiting with Jesse Wood and Jason Brooks and some of those people out there. And we'll have uh, more information available to to both of those uh events on our Facebook page and on our Equal newsletter. If you haven't signed up for the Equal newsletter, you can go to our website, quailresearch.org, and sign up from there. And uh, you'll be getting that on uh, about the first of every month. 
And we're looking forward again to those reports. As you're beginning to see more quail, send us some ideas, send us some your observations. If you got a video or a photo, we're always glad to see that. And with that, Gary, I'm going to turn it back to you in the studio, and we'll look forward to visiting with you all again next month. Thank you so much, Dr. Dale, and thank you, Ryan, for your passion and efforts at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation. Continued success in your new role. We hope you've enjoyed this month's podcast and conversation. For more information about the Dr. Dale on Quail podcast and past episodes, go to the website of the foundation at quailresearch.org. I'm Gary Joyner of the Texas Farm Bureau. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on Quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at GordianSons.com.